It is Saturday, the 9th of November 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to episode 65 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice. And if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. So you may have noticed it is Saturday and not Friday. So I'm just sort of thinking about when I'll, I'll, I'll put out the podcast in future and you know, certainly Saturday this week was an awful lot easier for me than Friday because I was I was flat out during the week, and it it might be something that I I, I do going forward as as Saturday podcast instead of Friday. Um, I haven't fully decided yet, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. In many ways, Saturday is better because then I can talk about some of the stuff that happened on Friday as well. Because occasionally I'll, I'll put out a podcast on Friday morning. And then something significant will happen on Friday afternoon. I don't get to talk about it to the next week. So it's something I'm, I'll consider. It's one of my favourite times of year, this as well. Um, you know, with, with Guy Fawkes during the week, I always think that is awesome. Um, I'm probably the only one that says that every time you look at the news at the moment, you see something negative about fireworks upsetting dogs and everything like that. But I know, I think sometimes animals are, are going to get upset by human activity, especially when. What, what people seem to forget with fireworks, and this is a bit of a rant that wasn't planning on going on, but what people seem to think on forget about fireworks is that a, a, a lot of the rest of the population enjoy them and having pets is optional. So, you know, I, I, anyway, I was down at Mission Bay for fireworks, which was probably the busiest area you could be for fireworks, and there was plenty of people with dogs that didn't really care. So, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> um... Maybe I should edit that bit out going forward because it may, may have upset someone. Um, but I can, I can see your opinion as well. Um, also, I, I did mention on last week's podcast that we're going to do a, a, a meet-up for the the podcast. Um, so I'm, I, I think I said the date's wrong last week. So we're looking at Sunday the 1st of December at 2pm at Calamero in, in St Heliers. So that's 59 Long Drive, St Heliers. Message me if, if you'd like to come along. It'd be great to get a... I've had a bit, a bit of interest already, so it'd be, it'd be great to get a... Um, a good group down there and you can come and talk to me about your opinion on stocks as well as fireworks. So on this week's episode, we're going to talk about push pay listed on the NZX and the ASX under PPH, and zero, which is no longer listed on the ASX, on the, on the NZX, sorry, it's listed on the ASX under the ticket XRO. But we're going to start with Briscoes. Um, it seems that every few months we're talking about Briscoes. I, I guess the reason why is that they put out quarterly sales updates, so they probably report slightly more frequently than your average NZX company. Um, so every every you know, four times a year they're putting out their sales updates so because of that they probably get a a bit more uh, attention on the podcast than some other companies especially relative to their size so it's actually quite interesting thing I said when you think about it a, a company gets more attention when they put out announcements so I'm not saying it's the case with Briscoes I think they're just reporting their quarterly sales but I think some companies deliberately put out announcements in order to get more attention. So you think of companies like Tesla in the United States that always want to be in the public eye, or perhaps a, a Kiwi example, and I did an episode on it recently, is South. They have put out a steady flow of announcements since going public. So I guess before we jump on the critical bandwagon of these companies, I'm not, and it is, it is fun to do, um, it actually makes sense what they're doing. 
I, I think that with both of these companies, they, they need to endear themselves to the public markets. And why is that? And that it is because the chances are they will need them at some point to raise money to continue the operation of their business. I think that's the case with both, both Tesla and, and Canisar. So it does make sense from that perspective that the companies put themselves out there. And it's why these sorts of companies care so deeply about where the share price is trading. Because the higher it is trading, the more money they will be able to raise and the less the dilution will be. So I actually believe that part of Elon Musk's compensation, and I heard this on another podcast, um, package is based on the share price of Tesla. So it's also why, for example, and let's choose an extreme example, why Warren Buffett is not bothered about the short-term share price movements of Berkshire Hathaway. And does Berkshire Hathaway need to raise capital from the markets? I think in their recent quarterly update last week, they had $130 billion sitting in cash waiting to deploy. So the answer is no. Anyway, we're, we're running a, a bit off topic here, back to Briscoe's. They released their third quarter sales to the 27th of October during the week. So they didn't waste any time getting the news out there when you look at the dates. If the quarter ended for them on the 27th of October, they released the update on the 4th of November, so they weren't mucking about. And if you look at the numbers, you can see why. The, the sales figures were quite impressive in my view. Total group sales of 140.3 million, that was an increase of 5.7%. Homeware sales growth of 4.65%. Sporting, basically that's Rebel Sport, sales growth of 7.41%. Same store sales growth of 4.13%. So same store sales, as I've said in the past, is the the key number for retailers. It's it's very impressive for a company that's already established. It's not impressive in comparison to the other two companies we're going to talk about today, but it is impressive. I think for a company that is, you know, spread out across New Zealand and and as much as they can, so it, it, it is impressive numbers. For the three quarters of the year, sales were four hundred forty three point three million, an increase of a tick over four percent. Homeware, which is the Briscoe stores, increased by three point two two percent, and sporting goods by five point five. Same store sales increased by three point one seven percent in that time. Online sales grew by twenty percent. I think the company should, or at least hopefully will start providing more detail on online sales in time. It is starting to become a more significant part of the business now. Um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but my guesstimate is about 11 to somewhere, which that's probably between 11 to 15% of sales. So uh, I might be totally off the mark with those numbers, but uh, whatever way you break it out, it, 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 it's a... Uh, becoming a more material part of their business and it will become even more material if they continue to grow at 20% a year. So it'll be interesting to know how they break out the sales. So for example, is is sales in the stores growing or is it just the online sales that is driving the same store sales growth for each of the brands? So it, it, it'll be interesting to see and it's coming into a, a big time of the year for the company, obviously heading into Christmas. So it'll be interesting to see how the fourth quarter is. Moving on, push pay. Pushpay released the interim report for 2020. I think Pushpay takes the ultimate prize for photos in the financial report. So I've spoken about the photos of elderly people playing bowls and Roman healthcare and people filling up cars and the energy reports. But I think the photos in the Pushpay reports really take the cake. You have a mixture of, I guess it's smiling, white-toothed young Americans, beautiful young Americans on their phones, I suppose, donating to their respective churches, and then a bunch of other photos of people unloading trucks with big smiles on their face. So I guess represent that's representing what church groups do with the money that they're donated. So Pushpay, I think it definitely has the best report if you're looking for corny photos. I guess what they do is hard to put in images, so I do have some sympathy. But 
Of course, we're not looking for corny report photos, although it is a little game of mine. We are looking for investable companies, corny report photos or not. So let's get to the numbers. Pushpay in- increased their sales revenue 30% to 57.4 million US dollars. Gross profit margin is 65%, up from 57%. So you know, we're going to talk more about operating leverage in the podcast, so there's some there. Net profit after tax, 6.5 million. So we're starting to see some profitability from the company. Operating cash flow of 8.9 million US dollars, and I'll get back to these numbers soon. Total customers, 7,905, a 7% increase. increase. Um, note that revenue is increasing faster than customer growth, so they're getting more out of their existing base. Um, so, yeah, um, the existing base is, either, is, is doing more volume, essentially. So... I guess this could be a reflection of their strategy to target larger institutions, um, but it might also be an indication of the size of the market. So I guess with the larger institutions, you know, you've got some massive churches in the United States, for example, and it, it might take a few years for the PushPay app to, I guess, integrate itself into the church. I guess that's the, the reason why you see revenue increasing amongst existing customers. So average revenue per customer, this, this is just basically what I said. So this along with total customers are the two key metrics for pushpay in my view. So average revenue per customer was $1,272 per month. That's an increase of 20%. So I think this number will become more important as customer growth slows um, and, and total processing volume is, is heading in the right direction. Um, let's quickly look at the balance sheet. It's almost one of those move on, there's nothing to see here type of balance sheets. Uh, they, they have twice as many current assets. You know, you, you basically, it, it's not like there's an asset heavy, heavy balance sheet where you're valuing the assets on the balance sheet, or it's not like there's so much cash that it's, it's coming into your valuation consideration. And so you, you're basically looking to see if, if the company's solvent. So you, you, you quickly look at that. And they have twice as, as many current assets as they do total liabilities. So that's not just current liabilities, it's total liabilities. And there's no debt. So there's no real, real issue there. Accumulated losses decreased to 44 million from 50 million. Um, so the way I like to interpret this is, is that the company has spent 44 million of, of shareholders' money getting to them where they are here, this profitable state. So, And it is how the, the shareholders realise a return going forward from now. How they how they allocate the capital they're going to start producing is is going to be the key thing to watch going forward. So they generated nearly nine million, as I indicated earlier, from operating activities. Capital expenditures are, are virtually nil. So the case here for, for Pushpay is that nearly or, or at least all the revenue growth for the business going forward will hopefully turn into cash flow. That that's the that's the real ball case. And that is unless they increase their cost base, which of course they will a bit. So not all of the revenue growth is going to go to cash flow. But the point being is that they should have great operating leverage going forward. So what will they do with the money? The company has indicated that they will use the money for acquisitions. So watch this space. The, the company has obviously not found anything of interest as yet because during the half, they, they, they spent all their money on short-term deposits, So they, which is a logical thing to do if, if you do not have any suitable acquisitions to spend money on and you don't want to pay a dividend. So it makes sense just to lob it into short-term deposits. The stock is valued at close enough to 950 million NZD. So with 8 million in operating cash flow, yeah, okay, I know that's in US dollars and the market caps in New Zealand dollars, 
that you're, you're basically buying it for growth today. Um, and it needs to grow, um, or it doesn't justify the valuation. It, it appears that, that growth is, is, is going to come. Um, it's, it's going to come more from your existing client base than not, although I imagine they've got some, some targets that currently aren't using the push pay app that they want to get using. So it, it'll come from average revenue per customer more than customer growth. So for me, it is, is a risk that, I guess, average revenue per customer growth is harder to come... The, the risk is that if the company finds it harder to get their average revenue per customer growth, so that's what you've got to assess. It, if, if it's harder than what the market is expecting, then it, it, it's... It's hard to justify the the valuation, but if the avenue, average revenue per customer growth keeps on going, then it could be a time that the current valuation looks cheap. So that, that that's basically the way I see it with this company. Um, and it could really go on a tear if 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 the average revenue per customer growth really continues, because as, as I said, a lot of that's just going to flow straight to the bottom line. I don't have the answer to that, obviously. Um, maybe you could go do some research on where you think the church donation space is going in the United States and, and figure that out. But the business itself, it, it certainly seemed to tick along just fine in the first half of the year. Okay, we'll move on to Zero. I, I haven't really spoken about them on the podcast. I, I'm, I'm not sure if I've never spoken about them, but I've, I've sort of snubbed them as punishment for delisting from the NZX, which I still consider to be an unnecessary move, but I will talk about them today. Um, so they trade on the ASX under the ticker code XRO. It, it's unreal that they're a $10.7 billion Australian company now by market cap. So this is a number I'll, I'll come back to soon, but let's start with the highlights from the interim report. They have over 2 million subscribers. That's up nearly 500k year on year, which, look, let's face it, is a substantial jump. Obviously, subscribers... It, it's not going to reach infinity, so it'll be interesting to see where the custom when the customer growth will slow, stagnate, and then finally level off. So that's when it will change from a, a, a not so, a, a subscriber growth story to a, how I say a, a price increase story and getting the most out of the subscribers story. So it'd be interesting to see when that happens. I don't know when it happens, but it seems like based on how quickly that's grown, it's 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 not going to happen anytime soon. So operating revenue for the first half was three hundred and thirty eight point seven million, which I think I read was a thirty percent increase, thirty three percent increase on the prior reporting period. I didn't write it down in my notes here, but I'm sure I read it somewhere. So there's some good growth. Free free cash flow of four point eight million. If you look at the cash flow statement, they probably could have been more creative with that number to come up with something higher. So I, I do like that they've gone with the conservative number. But the, the key thing is that the, it's positive cash flow for the company now. So that, that should mean that unless there is a really good acquisition out there, then they shouldn't need to raise more capital from investors. So basically the business should support itself now without more money going in from, from owners. So although I think you could make a legitimate argument that with the business being valued at $10.7 billion, that they should be raising capital at these valuations because they will they'll be able to raise a lot with only a small amount of dilution. So I think that would, that's actually a quite a credible argument and I wonder if management are considering it. So they're using the annualised monthly recurring revenue um, metric. They have said that it's increased to seven hundred and sixty-four million. So now we're starting to get into valuation territory with the with the business trading at 10.7 billion. That's close enough to eleven times sales. And we can ignore the fact that the the company's market cap is in Australian dollars and the company reports in New Zealand dollars. So we'll just call it eleven times sales. 
the argument for buying zero has always been that you can sell it to someone else for more. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm joking. It's, it's always been that the investments the business is doing now in terms of building the platform and everything like that will result in operating leverage and margin once subscriber growth catches up. Um, and, and that's starting to play out now as, as you're seeing the company turning cash flow positive. What sort of margins can we expect from the company? Obviously, it's it's not operating at full margins right now. So it, it you have to sort of go to comparables to figure out. Intuit, which is a similar company, I'm sure I'm going to get messages telling me how Zero is not exactly the same as Intuit, but it's a close enough comparable. Um, they trade on the NASDAQ. They produced around $1.5 billion in, in net income on around $7 billion in revenue, which is a 21% net income margin, which is really high when you think about it. I, well, I probably should have used operating income as a compare as a comparison because it's, it's in different tax jurisdictions, but too late. Um, so if you were to whack the same margins on zero, you'd be looking at around 200 million in the income if they were to make 1 billion in revenue. And that is assuming they're profitable at that stage, which might not, that profitable at that stage, which might not be the case of 20% margin might come later on um they're probably one or two years away from one billion in revenue but but let's just say 200 million dollars for the second which is 54 times price to earnings ratio on a on a market cap of, of 10.7 billion and that's 54 times my manufactured made up in the future potential earnings as well so you know i it really does show that the market is expecting a lot from the company um, when you have to use a sort of pie-in-the-sky type future profit metric to get 54 times earnings. Um, and, you know, it's it's just a quick projection, but you can come up with your own projections that so 10 times earnings, so it doesn't really mean much. But it, math, the, my point being is that mathematically, I find the valuation quite hard to wrap my head around. The company needs to grow an awful lot for a long period of time to justify the current market cap, in my view. Um, it doesn't mean they won't, um, and it doesn't mean you can't can't make money off holding the stock. Um, there are obviously plenty of people out there at the moment happy to step up and, and pay more for the company, and you can see why. They, they have already 500,000 subscribers in the UK, and as a comparison, they, they have 367,000 in, in New Zealand. So the, the UK has seven, nearly 70 million people living in it, and you've got a real small... I lived in the UK for for a fair period of time, and they, they have a real small business culture over there with lots of with lots of small businesses. I reckon like a a higher percentage of small businesses relative to population compared to New Zealand and Australia. So you can easily see how they get to two million subscribers in in UK alone, especially with small businesses being a lot of zeros target market. So then and there's the US. The, the going appears to be tougher there, but they're starting to make some headway, which it normally is. It's a, it's a very competitive marketplace for, for most things, especially for foreign companies coming in. But as you know, the, the sky is, is the limit in the US. Um, I'm, I, was, I was going to talk about it later, but I think Intuit has 4.5 million subscribers in the US, so just as a comparison. So... It also appears they're only targeting the English-speaking countries at the moment, so there's plenty of opportunities for them to take the business in other directions as well. But let, let's come back to the numbers for a second. Imagine you had $10.7 in, in, in your pocket or in your bank account, your West Bank account, $10.7 to, to spend, and you're a, a, a private buyer and you wanted to take zero private. You'd actually need a whole lot more than $10.7 if you're going to buy everyone out, but let's not dwell on that. So that would mean that the company would need to produce more than $10.7 in cash just for you to make your money back. 
which of of course is is no guarantee. It would need to produce an awful lot more for you to re- achieve a return, but that's just to make your money back. But even if you felt confident that it would happen, it would need to happen in a in a time frame for you to generate a, a satisfactory return. I mean, if that, if that took twenty years, for example, then you, you actually there's a huge amount of opportunity cost in, in that twenty years if you've just made your money back. Um, not to mention inflation and, and everything like that as well. So, how long will it, it take Zero to produce ten point seven billion in cash for its owners? Sit there and think about it for a while. Nobody knows for sure, but it's not happening anytime soon. Um, so you're probably sitting there saying, I'm not buying the whole company, so your example is silly, but you are buying a proportional ownership of it, and your long-term returns for holding the stock will eventually be equal to what the business produces, and the economic returns that you receive will be proportional to your ownership. So that that doesn't mean on the short term or even the medium term, I'm talking the long term there. So And it doesn't mean that you can't make money holding zero, um, because you know, this sort of valuation can continue for a long time in the markets. And so long as someone is prepared to, to step up and and, and buy, it, buy it off you for more. So I, I can definitely see the bull case for zero. If, if they get even half the penetration into the big overseas markets that they've achieved in New Zealand and Australia, then there'll be a lot of rewards for shareholders. Like I said, I think I read on the Insured Update that they have 4.5 million subscribers in, in the US, which is only two and a half times zero, and that's a $60 billion company. Um so the the math does work if you stretch it out enough. And then once they have those subscribers, they should be able to have pricing power and increasing prices. Um, I don't think people jump willy-nilly between accounting providers once you've got someone. So once you're on, I imagine the company, you know, sort of like Netflix can increase their prices. I think Zero will probably have that pricing power. So... And when a company like Zero increases their prices, it's literally straight cream on the top. It, it you, you increase your price by a dollar, that dollar goes down to the bottom line. So the, the bull case is very strong. How, my guess, however, is that any speed bump along the way with the current valuation will, will be hammered by the market. But let's see. So I'm sort of running out of things to to talk about now. Sorry if I upset you by talking about fireworks at the start of the episode. I just have a different view. Um, and I'm entitled to that as well. Um, make sure also to, to come across on the 1st of December and have the Calamero day with us, buy a pizza and talk about some stocks and other stuff as well. Um, thanks again for listening to the podcast as a reminder that nothing that I said today should be considered financial advice. If you're looking to find out more about the podcast, go to stockmarketmovers.co.nz or find us and give it a like by searching on Facebook. Make sure also to share with your friends. Email me at jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin and this has been episode 65 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Saturday, not Friday, Saturday, the 9th of November 2019. We'll see you all again next week.